This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Uh, let us get started. So tonight we are learning Le'ilu Nishmat Avraham ben Chaim Yehuda and Yechaskel ben Avraham. So in our journey through growing in Emuna, we have covered a lot of ground. Hashem, we covered, we covered a lot of ground. And, you know, when I first started this, this, this series, I really wanted to make it a bunch of mini-series. And I really did make it a bunch of mini-series, but I didn't let you pr- know so much that it was mini-series and what we're dealing, uh, you know, with. So we had, uh, so, so I want to just like give you a little bit of a brief overview of what we've been doing so far is we started off when we started speaking about Emunah and Bitachon, we started speaking about just the introduction and just how do you understand, like, what is Emunah, what is Bitachon. Uh, and, and I have to just say, like, everything that I'm saying is so much easier said than done. It's it's something that, you know, and, and I'm speaking for myself, I'm teaching this, you know, this topic, and when it comes to day-to-day life and I need to work on it, yes, I teach it and I preach it, but when it comes to that, I understand the difficulties. Because when it comes to my own life, I'm like, okay, I have to focus on this on this point, this part. The beauty that Hakadosh Baruch Hu has given me is that I already know the format of what I need to do, and now I just have to plug it into my own life. So it's easy to say these things, but to plug it into your own life, that it becomes really, really difficult, especially if you're going through something very, very difficult. So, uh, you know, the the way that we start off is was was an introduction of how you understand what emuna is. And then we went off on different topics, like how much ishtadlut we need to have with emuna. And a, a very big part of our series was focused also on the sufferings, the difficulties that we come through. Now we're coming across a new mini-series. And this mini-series that we're going to be, Hashem, go be doing in the series of emuna is going to be about money. And I feel like this is one of... I say this towards the end of the series because I feel this is one of the most important aspects of uh, aspects of it. And one of the reasons why I feel that is, you know, when you get to speak to a lot of people and you get to deal in the in the public world and you start realizing what are on people's minds, what are people always thinking about, what are people always focusing about, what are people always praying for. So yes, everybody has their own thing during their time of need. So if someone's sick, they're praying for they're praying for sickness. If somebody needs a shidduch, they're praying for for a shidduch. If someone has shalom bayis issue, they're pray- whatever it is their problem areas during their day to day lives. That is what they focus on. That is what they pray, and that's what they need to have growth in. But what is one area that sort of across the board has some sort of uh, you know foundation in everything that we do? And I was thinking about it, that the answer is, you know, again, not for everybody, for the majority of people that I've dealt with and the people that, you know, the, the Svarim that I learned with, I, I realized that it's money. You have a rich person, what does he pray for? Money. And you want to keep on, you have a middle class person, what does he pray for? Money. You have a poor class person, what does he pray for? Money. Everybody is praying for money. Money, 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 money. It's all about the Benjamins. It's all about the Greens. What, you know, it's all, it's foundation. And by the way, don't get me wrong, it's, you know, especially when we're dealing with Jews, it's all for good reasons. And, and continue pray. I'm not saying don't pray, continue praying for money. You know, you, you have Jews, why do they want money? They want to give more charity. They want to give more tzedakah. 
Maybe they want to be, do more achnasat ochim. Maybe their house is a little bit small, they want to expand, maybe they want to buy a new house so they could have more achnasat ochim. They want to pay tuition for their children. They want to give their children a good life. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong, the, the fact that people pay for money, I know that deep down it really comes from a really good place. They want to do good with the money. Yes, maybe they want a nice car, they want a nice house, they want it, but at the end of the day, you know, they want to do good with their money. So, a lot of things are focused around money. It's all about money. When people are dating, you know, subconsciously, what does he work? What does he do? Does she come from money? Is she going to be able to support? There's a lot of factors that come out, you know, to, you know, to money. You have tuition. You have to, and then the truth is, if there's no dough, there's no, there's no Torah. There's a foundation. You know, money is what makes the world go. There was a story. There's a story. This is a, a, somebody years, years ago, I want to say that I saw this probably when like WhatsApp came out, like that's how long, I don't know when WhatsApp came out, I don't remember the one, but like that's how long ago it was, and somebody showed me a video, I don't remember if somebody showed it to me or somebody sent it to me, but I remember seeing this video and it stuck to me till this day, and it was a video of, you have an Israeli guy, he was praying by a kever of a tzaddik, if I'm not mistaken, if my memory serves correctly, I think it was the Rashbi's kever, but I may be wrong. And he was praying. And how was he was how was he praying? He was literally saying kesef 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 is money in Hebrew. He was literally praying money 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 money. And he was just saying money 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 like a time and time again. And people were sending it out as a joke. And when I saw that, I'm like, why is this a joke? This is a guy who's praying for money. Maybe he's doing it in a little bit of funny roundabout way. But this is a guy. Who knows that somebody's videoing him? He knows that somebody's over, you know, like, like there, and all he cares about, he's talking to Akadosh Baruch he's talking to God, and he's saying, God, please give me money. He's, please give me money, and everybody else saw it as a joke. I saw it as inspiration. <laughs> Look at this guy. This guy, no, doesn't matter what anybody else is thinking, this guy is praying for money. So, with that being said, you know, with all these ideas, you know, that, that, that we're speaking about, money is a very, very big foundation. Some people are blessed with money. Some people, unfortunately, are not blessed with money. But money is in everybody's, in everybody's mind. And when we're speaking about emuna, when we're speaking about bitachon, how can we not speak about money? <laughs> you know, like this is the foundation of, of what we're, what we're dealing with. So, with God's help, we hope to be able to give a little bit of a mini-series, um, quite a few classes on, uh, you know, on money and, how are we to focus on the emuna and bitachon aspect of money? This is our day-to-day life. People have stress. People have anxiety. People have all these things. This is Hashem, the focus of the next couple of days. And I want to be honest with you. And I, I even when I sent to Sapir about the topic of what we're going to be discussing, uh, the first class, first class in a mini-series is always very important. Whenever you start a series... Whoever is listening to this, or whether you're a speaker or an educator, whenever you start something, one of the first classes is a very, very, it's so important because people, a lot of people will listen to the first class. If it's good, then they'll listen to the second class. But if it's not so good, they'll be like, you know what, it will be less of a reason for them to listen to the next class. So I was thinking, I'm starting a series about the, about money, and I was like, where should I focus on? And I had two ideas of what I wanted to start with. Idea number one is money problems. That's what I wanted to focus on. And that was my initial thought about going into the class, starting the series with money problems. Everybody has money problems. Everybody. Rich, poor, and everybody in between. But for whatever reason, HaKadosh Baruch Hu directed me, and I am not doing that for the first class. And the first class I want to do is 
a topic of that Hashem can make anybody wealthy. Hashem can give money to everybody. And that is really the focus of tonight's class, of the power of Hashem and is able to make everybody wealthy. So with that introduction, let us, let us begin. There is a pasuk in Divrei Ayamim, chapter 29, verse 12. And the pasuk goes and says, It says, And wealth and honor is before you, and you rule over everything. Now the question is, why did we single out the wealth and honor? We're basically saying is that wealth and honor is before God, and you rule over everything. Why was wealth and honor singled out? So the answer is, is that when you deal with honor, you cannot, you cannot get honor by force. You could try, but it's not honor. It's fear. If you want someone to honor you, you can't force someone to honor you. It has to come from, sort, from forces outside of you. So you can't sort of steal honor. You can't sort of gain honor other by, by something that's beyond you, which is God, Hashem. When you look at wealth, wealth can be stolen. You could steal. You are able to steal. But when you look at it, the the rich of the rich, the high, the 1% of the 1%, they don't achieve the success by stealing. And by the way, also on the flip side, they don't achieve their success by saving dollar to dollar. So you have somebody that's very wealthy, he's not going to be like, yeah, you know what, because I, I bought the tomatoes in this supermarket, was which was 35 cents cheaper than that supermarket. I, I did the garlic and I crushed it and then I froze it and I did blah, 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 blah. That, yes, you should save money and you should do it smart. But the people that are billionaires are not becoming billionaires because they bought the tomatoes from from last week's crop. That's not where they get their billions, you know, from. So yes, you can be stolen, and the wealth can be. You could steal money, and yes, you could be very frugal. But to become extremely wealthy, it's not. You don't. You're not able to steal that. And if you do, you're not lasting long. Somebody will be like, well, uh, you, you know, look at this person who did this Ponzi scheme and did this. He became so wealthy. It will only last for a certain, a certain period of time. To become wealthy and to get honor, it's all biyad Hashem. And in fact, there's something that I mentioned before. Mark Cuban is a billionaire. He owns a, I think he owns a NBA uh, team. Uh, he owns, he owns a, you know, a bunch of things. He sold, a, he sold a few companies, made a lot of money. And in an interview, he was asked if he could become a billionaire. He's a billionaire. He asked if he would become a billionaire again if he would have to start from scratch. And he said something that was very interesting. He said that he he can't tell you if he'll become a billionaire. He would be able to become a millionaire. But a billionaire, he says, that's all luck. That's all being in the right place, having the right ideas, having the right time. So even when you think about someone who's a billionaire, who has a ton of money, it's like they they can realize that they were in the right place, the right time, had the right idea, whatever the, the situation came into in, you know into play. But the truth of the matter is, and this is really the focus today, is that it doesn't matter where you're earning. You know, Mark Cuban will say that because he's a billionaire. But the truth of the matter is, whether you make $10,000 a year, whether you make $1,000 a year, or whether you make a billion dollars a year, it doesn't matter. It's all minashamayim. Some people call it luck. Some people call it universe. I like to call it Hashem HaKadosh Baruch Hu, none other than God Himself. The Chavot HaVavot even goes and says something so interesting, so fundamental, so beautiful, and so emotionally comforting for many people. And that is that, 
you know, people have their livelihood come from different means. Somebody has a job as a social worker. Other people has a job as a therapist. Some people are just working in finance. Someone is working in sales. Everybody has their own jobs. And it's not uncommon that people start thinking, be like, you know what? What if I would be in a different profession? What if, if I would make my money a different way? So the says the of Avot that when God gives you panasah, God chooses your livelihood, your panasah, to come through ways that's suitable for your purpose in this world and for your benefit. Now, that is very comforting because when you're in a certain you know, job, there's a reason why you're in that job. I, now, I want to really preface this with saying, like, doesn't mean that you shouldn't look for outside opportunities. It doesn't mean that. But where you are right now, there is a reason why you're where you are. There's a reason why you're dealing with what you're dealing with and why you're focusing on this particular, uh, you know, way of making money. Some people are into, into helping people and they become a therapist. I know somebody that was a therapist and he was making, uh, he was making about $100,000 a year. And then he decided he wants to leave it. He was going into his family's business. What's his family business? Construction. He went into family business and he made, I would want to say over 10 times that amount. Like he, he, like he was extremely successful. But for whatever reason, he decided he was going to go to college. He's going to become a therapist, a certain therapist. I'm not going to say what it is. And he made, you know, a nice amount of money. But then he decided that he's going to go somewhere else. And he became, you know, much, he made much more, much more money. When, when God goes and, and, and directs you, there is a reason for that. And this is what the Talgum says in Devarim, chapter 8, verse 18. That even the ideas, of which business to engage in, that too comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Meaning that when you go and you decide to get into a certain business, and, and it's and it's so interesting when you when you deal with money and you want to ask somebody, how did you get into this business? It's so, I, like it's never a normal case. It's always, well, like my friend mentioned this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and then I found an ad online, and that's why I'm a, uh, you know, a day trader, and because of that I got into real estate, and now I sell medicine. Like, what? Like, how did you even, like, the, the, the stories are so crazy that you can't even begin to think that it's, it was made, it, the, you're, you're obviously, you're directed. So if, and this important, I found so, this idea I found so important because if you're in a certain business and you're not happy, yes, of course, look for somewhere else. But know that while you are in where you are, there is a reason why you are here. God directed you to be in this business, to be in this job, to be in this situation, to go out and make money. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't look elsewhere. And I'm not saying you shouldn't try to improve your situation by looking at other opportunities. By all means, of course. But where you are, when you are, realize that you're there for a reason and you're there for a purpose. When you look in the business world, I find it fascinating when you see how two people can be selling the same product in the same platform. Let's say they're selling the same product on Amazon. They're selling the same product on eBay. One is extremely wealthy and the other one can make a sale. And it's not because this one is using advertising, you know, all that is, you know, is important. But at the end of the day, you know, it wasn't that. And you see how somebody is extremely successful and somebody is not. And you want to know why? Because God decided that this person is going to be successful. So this person is going to sell bottle caps or buttons or the ridiculous thing and he'll make a tremendous amount of money. And this person will sell toilet paper during the COVID pandemic and not be able to make a dime for whatever reason. Because God, Ashkadosh Baruch Hu, directed that this person should make a sale and this person should not. Says the Beis HaLevi. Says when people go and they succeed in business and they earn a lot of money, it's not because of the business. 
It's actually just the opposite. And he explains it so beautifully. What happens is, is this is the way that it works. Is that first, Hashem decrees that you would make a lot of money. And then, he would, Agadosh Baruch Hu chooses one of the many possible ways of it to happen. And he goes and he brings, the base of he goes and brings an example from Yosef. Yosef was in the jail of Paro. He was in the jail in Egypt. And it says that the, at the end of two years, Paro had a dream. And the time was now set that Yosef would have to be released from jail. And Paro had the dream, and it so coincided that Yosef was able to interpret the dream. And because he was able to interpret the dream, he was able to get out of jail. He was able to be the second in command. But says the base of Levi, it doesn't work that way. He says, first, Hashem made the decree of what he wants to happen. Then Hashem chooses one of the many possible methods of which that will take place. Meaning that there was a certain amount of time that Yosef was supposed to be in, in jail. And when the time came for him to not be in jail anymore, then Paro remembered his dream. And because Paro remembered his dream, then it came to Yosef and Yosef was able to interpret it and Yosef was able to get out. And in fact, there's an interpretation, we spoke about this before, that Paro had the dream for two years straight. He had the same dream for two years straight. But he didn't remember it. You want to know why? Because it wasn't meant for Yosef to come out yet. And when it was time for Yosef to come out, that's when Paro remembered his dream. That God goes and there is an end goal. And the goal is that you're going to be wealthy. Now Hashem goes and says, okay, which path are we going to go to get to you to that? You're going to go and you're going to sell something ridiculous. It doesn't matter. You're going to go and you're going to buy this. You're going to buy that. Whatever it is, the end goal is what counts. And there Hashem will direct you on how to get to that end goal. There is a company, a very famous company, and this company is called Airbnb. And I want to share with you how this Airbnb started. What happened was it was three roommates, and these roommates, they couldn't make the rent payments. So they did a little research, and I believe they lived in San Francisco, if I'm not mistaken. And they did a little research, and they saw like, you know, there was a lot of conventions going on, and hotels were, were overbooked, people weren't able to book it. So what they decided they're going to do is they went and they bought air mattresses. They blew up these air mattresses and they put it into their, you know, in, into their apartment. And they went and they went online and they tried to rent this out. And that's why Airbnb was meant for ear, bed, and breakfast. You will sleep in an ear bed and you will get breakfast, you know, as well. And they charged $80 a night. And, you know, they got one customer, they got another customer. It, it wasn't working so well as any startup. It's a little bit difficult. You know, every beginning, as the Torah says, it's very difficult. So they needed to fund their startup. And they, started, they decided what they were going to do, and they did something very interesting, is they were going to sell election-themed cereals. They were going to take cereals. They put different, you know, covers. They, took, they bought regular cereals. They poured it into other boxes and made their own, their own boxes. And one of the things that they sold was something that was called Obama O's. That was one cereal that they sold. Another cereal that they sold, they had to go to the other side as well. They, they sold Captain McCain's. So they sold the cereal Obama O's and Captain McCain's. And this is how they went. And they sold, they bought it for like a dollar, you know, 50 and they sold it for like $4 a box. They end up making, uh, you know, about $30,000 in the sale. And this they funded toward their business into the Airbnb. They said, listen, we're renting out our own room. Maybe other people also want to rent out their own rooms. <clears throat> and it all started with what? None other than Airbeds and some cereal for breakfast. It wasn't they were so serving this gourmet breakfast. And, uh, you know, as history has it, the company is now worth 
over $25.5 billion. And how, look at how they started. Says the Talgum, he says, even the ideas, even the ideas, who would think, who would be, yeah, come on, think about it. Like, before this, and they tried to get so many investors. Who would want to invest in that? Be like, why would anybody come to your house to rent the bedroom? Are you kidding me? Like, go to a hotel. Why would anybody want to go and rent? Now it goes, obviously, renting apartments, but people will go and they rent a room. Who would want to rent the room? And even more so, an ear mattress? Who's going to sleep in the air? We're Americans over here, right? If we're not sleeping in the plush, sleepy comfort of our, you know, you know, the people go and they rent a hotel room for $46 a night. And if there's a little bit of a spring, they're like, I bad review online. I can't believe this is my back is now hurting me. I'm like, you just paid $46 for a roof over your head. You're complaining about this already. And, you know, like sleep on an air mattress. I have slept on an air mattress before. And, you know, I want to tell you the truth is the experience wasn't so bad. But when you think about it, like I had to think it was a good air mattress. But if you think about it, like an air mattress, who is $80 a night to sleep on an air mattress? And guess what? They went and they 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 got with their air mattress and they were able to go and they were able to get uh you know eventually they were able to get investors and now they're worth over 25 billion dollars so when you think about it be like how did they even get that idea like what caused that idea to come to play when you when you think about it like how do you even come to these ideas these ideas when you have people and they say you know like they come to these like billion dollar businesses you know originally you think like you know it's crazy like who would who would even do it but you want to know what the targum goes and says that the ideas of which businesses to engage in that comes from akadosh mahu none other it wasn't it wasn't him akadosh mahu decided that airbnb has to go and has to get into business and he was the shliach to go into it you know, you have people that they regret. They should have invested in certain stocks. Nowadays, I don't know if people regret investing in stocks, but more it's Bitcoin and all this, you know, cryptocurrency. When someone goes and invests in the initial cryptocurrency, what, what do you think that they were so such a genius and they decide, how could this who put that idea into the mind to go and invest in cryptocurrency? Uh, you know, there was a guy that reached out to me a while back. And, and I maybe he's still listening to the classes. And if he is... Please reach out to me again because I want to hear the follow up to this, you know, to this story. So he reached out to me a while ago and he had some extra, this is when like Bitcoin first started. He was a teenager and he had bar mitzvah money and he took all his bar mitzvah money, a few thousand dollars and he invested it in Bitcoin. You're talking about right when it started, like, like way, way, way back then. He spoke to me a few years ago. A few years ago, he was already worth $1.5 million dollars. He was at that point in time 18 or 19 years old, if I remember myself correctly. He was 18 or 19. He made from his a few thousand dollars bar mitzvah money, he made 1.5 million dollars. I'm curious to see how much he's worth now. You know, if he was worth that a few years ago and Bitcoin was going up, how you know how much he's worth now? And you think about it, I'm like, you know what? Like, what caused them the idea to go and invest in? You take all your bar mitzvah money as a teenager. You have a few thousand dollars. That's a ton of money. Why would you put it into cryptocurrency, something that you don't know the future? But the answer is, is like, this Baruch put it in his mind. And he said, you know what? You are going to go and you're going to invest in cryptocurrency. And he made a tremendous amount of money. Because you don't want to know why. Because Hashem is the one that gives you Parnassah. Hashem is the one that gives you the idea of what Parnassah to get into. And this is the first lesson that we have to learn. The first lesson that we have to learn when we're dealing with the money and emuna, that Hashem is the one in control and it's not me. 
Hashem can make you wealthy. God can make you wealthy. And you want to know what? It's only God that can make you wealthy. You could work from today until tomorrow. You can have the best ideas. But if God didn't decree that you will be wealthy, you will not be wealthy. It's all in God's hands. It's all in Hashem's hands. There was a wealthy Hasid. Slonimar Hasid. And what he did for a business is he had a plant. And not a plant <laughs> that you pour a factory, and he processed skins. Uh, and he was, you know, a righteous man. He gave a lot of money to, to charity. He had a certain rabbi that every time that the rabbi came into town, he would always visit this person's house. And he had a special room where the rabbi would be able to focus and concentrate and do all his learning and everything like that. I had a um, a, a close friend of mine that uh, my Rosh Hashiva from Eretz Yisrael, Rabbi Chaim Pinchas Scheinberg, the one... That, always walked around with, with uh, like about 150 pairs of tzitzit. He would, when he would come to Brooklyn, he would stay by my friend's house. And, you know, there are certain people that jump on this chut. When you have a big rabbi, say they want the rabbi to stay in their, in their house. So this particular chassid, he wanted this rabbi to stay in his house, and he made a special room of where this rabbi will be able to sleep, where will this rabbi be able to learn, where will this rabbi be able to focus and do all his, all his avodat kodesh without any bothering, without any outside disturbance. One year, this Hasid was walking in the street, and he was very much in his, in his thoughts. And he sees this rabbi, and he, he sees a rabbi over there, obviously the rabbi was coming to town. He runs over to the rabbi, he grabs the suitcase, and he quickly brings him into his house. He escorts him to his usual room of where he stays. He excuses himself, he closes the door, and because his mind was elsewhere, he locked the rabbi in, the, you know, in his room, and he went back outside, still in his thoughts. After he's walking outside, you know, sometimes you're like walking and be like, wait a minute, what did I just do? And some people are like, what did I just say? You know, like, what did I, you know, they, they come up there to the realization and be like, wait a minute, did I just lock the rabbi in my house? He didn't even say like, hi, he just like grabbed the suitcase, brought him into his house, locked the door and just left. So he runs back to his house. He unlocks the door and he says, Rabbi, I'm so sorry. He says, I have so much things in my mind. I, I, I didn't even realize. I didn't even say hi to you. I, I just brought you in here. You know, please, Michila, please forgive me. So the rabbi says, of course, but I, I, you know, I see you're very bothered. You're very, you know, you, you know, there's something that's bothering you. Tell me what's, what's troubling you. So the person went and he started opening up. And this was, this was a wealthy man. And he says, you know, he suffered, unfortunately, many, many losses in business to the extent that he had to close his factory. And he had to fire all his servants. And now everything that he had to do around the house, he had to do himself. And to the extent that he even had a hard time providing food for his family. So he said, you know, I was so in my thoughts about my situation that, you know, I locked you in, my, in the room because I, I wasn't even thinking. I, I was just, you know, I was in my own thoughts. So the rabbi goes to him and says, you know, I want to share with you a story. So it says one time there was a very prosperous inn. It was a, there was a person that owned the inn and he was making a lot of money. And at one point he lost all his customers because there was a new establishment that opened up down the block and everybody went to that new establishment and took away all his business. And he was left without any source of income. Now this person was an only child and his mother felt so bad for her son that he no longer had any source of income that she decided that she wanted to sustain him somehow. She wanted to get some sort of job. So, I made a bacha before we, uh, before we started the recording. Just whoever has a mind. So, 
this mother went and decided that she's going to try to make some and make some money to support her son. She went and she tried to do any sort of job, and it was, she even went to the extent that she tried to pe- clean people's houses, but no one was interested. No one was interested. She tried to sell apples. Her apples were spoiled. She had to throw them out. It seemed as if Shemayim Heaven blocked all her attempts of saving her son. And time went on. One winter night, the landlord, the person, the, the parts, the person that owned all the land in the area, a very wealthy, let's call him a duke, he went over to this, uh, he sent the servant to this particular inn, and he said he wanted to buy some wine. And the, you know, the innkeeper said, he said, listen, he says, you know, people haven't come in here in so long, I don't have anything to sell, I haven't had any money to buy anything. You know, business is terrible, I don't have anything to sell you. And the servant didn't think that. He's like, are you kidding me? My, my boss told me, my, owner told me to come here and if i don't come back with something he's not going to take it lightly and he says i'm sorry i have nothing to i have nothing to sell to you i, I wish i could sell to you so the servant didn't you know didn't want to the guy didn't want to sell the servant says okay what am i going to do he goes back to the to the duke the duke says he says he has something and if he doesn't sell me he says by the next day he's going to be hung he's going to be killed tell him he better give me whatever he has the servant runs back to the innkeeper. The innkeeper says, listen, he says, you better sell me something, otherwise it's, your head is on a platter. So the guy didn't know what to do. The innkeeper didn't know what to do. He says, listen, he has barrels of wine, but they're empty. You know, they were, they were outside, they were filled with rainwater. He didn't have any other option. He took the barrels of rainwater that were once holding wine, and he filled it up with the bottles, and he gave it to this guy, to the servant. The servant took this, uh, you know, the bottles back to his master, and the servant comes back a few hours later smiling ear to ear. He says, my master is so happy with your product. He says he's having a big party. He's never tasted such good wine before. He wants to buy everything that you have. And the guy's like, I don't ha- I'm selling him water, like water in wine. Like I was selling him rainwater. And the servant's like, listen, I don't know what you're selling him, but whatever you gave me before, give me whatever it is that you have because it's doing the trick. It's doing the job. So the guy goes, he pulls, takes all the bottles that he has, he takes all these barrels full of rainwater, and he dumps, he, he picks them, you know, he, he fills up all the bottles, gives it to the servant, the servant goes and brings it to, to the landlord. The next morning, the duke comes into this innkeeper and he says, he can't thank him enough. His party was such a success. Thanks to his delicious wine, everything was unbelievable. And he paid him so handsomely to this, uh, to, to this innkeeper. And then he goes furthermore, and he says, and he says, from now on, I'm buying all my wine from you. Because you have the best stuff. Out of everyone, you have the best stuff. And the word got around town that he has the best stuff. And all of a sudden, his inn started going, you know, like, like, going off the, off the hook. He was, he was sold out every single night. People came to his bar to drink and they, you know, he couldn't fit anybody else in there. The mother goes and he says, you know, I tried everything to help my son. But in my wildest dreams, I have never imagined that Hashem would convert a rainwater to wine, and that's how He will save my son's business. And you want to know why? Because at the end of the day, Hashem is in charge. Nobody ain't owed milvado. There is nothing other than Akadosh Baruch Hu. It's not your business. It's not your business ethic. It's not your idea. It's, not, it's a blah 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 blah. Everything is blah. Hashem is the source of everything. 
If Hashem wants you to be a success, you will be a success. It doesn't matter if you're going to sell ear mattresses to the public, you'll become a billionaire, or if you go and if you sell the most highest, most advanced technology. It doesn't matter if God wants you to be successful, you will be successful. So this rabbi, going back, this was a story in a story. So let's go back, right? So remember we went, we started off that there was this person that had a skin factory and he wasn't making any money. And the rabbi goes and tells him this story about the inn and the rainwater. And the rabbi told him, God has a way of working things out. He says, don't worry, things will work out. He says, fine. He goes into the market and he says, fine. The rabbi told me there's going to be a salvation. There's going to be a Yeshua. He goes to the market to be like, God, send your salvation. He goes and he sits in the market and uh, he's sitting over there. And all of a sudden he sees an old friend. And the friend comes to him. And the friend says, you know, he was he, he just purchased a very large shipment of skins, which is the business that he was dealing with. And in the process of soaking them, he saw that they were of inferior quality and they were started to, to it seemed like they were falling apart. And he wanted to just, you know, it was a headache. He wanted to just get rid of them. And he would get rid of them at any price. So they agreed in a very, very low price, something that this Hasid had the money to pay. And, and in fact, even though, he, even though that he did, they even agreed that he doesn't have to pay yet. He'll pay afterwards. He said he just wants to get rid of them. So he gave it to him very cheap. And he opened up, this Hasid opened up his factory and he started processing these skins. As it so happened to be, these skins weren't so problematic and they didn't fall apart. And he was able to sell them at a very, very good profit. And he was able to rebuild his wealth, you know, from that. And and we see over here that sometimes it looks like things are so bleak. Sometimes it looks like the road is blocked and you're done. Like, like God, I have nowhere to turn. You'll be like, Hashem, I, you know, I've tried to get married and I can't. I've tried to make panasa and I can't make ends meet. But somehow Hashem has a way to just work things out and everything turns out amazing. Rabbi David Asher goes and brings down a story in his, one of his books, Living in Muna. It's in the second volume of his books. And he said that a, a man told him that, it, you know, a couple of weeks before he was speaking to the rabbi, he told his stockbroker on Friday afternoon, Elif Shabbat, he goes and tells me he wants to purchase a certain number of stocks. And the stocks, there was, you know, there, there was one, the way that it worked out is, is that there was unit and shares. So one unit would equal a hundred shares. So the person told the broker, says, I want to purchase a thousand shares of a certain stock. So the broker goes and says, are you sure you want to purchase a thousand? And he says, yeah, please go, go ahead and, and buy them for me. So he said, fine. He buys them. And it comes over the weekend and it's Shabbat. And now all of a sudden, you know how sometimes you say something and you don't think about it. The next day, you start thinking, be like, wait a minute. Like you start replaying the conversation in your mind. Be like, wait, what just happened? What did he say? And he started replaying the conversation with his broker. And he started wondering, he's like, why is it that the broker questioned me? I wanted to buy a thousand shares. It's not a big deal. Like, why did he question me? And he's like, oh no. He's like, maybe the broker thought that I wanted to buy a thousand units. Not a thousand shares. A thousand units is a thousand times a thousand, you know, like a thousand times a hundred. That's a, that's a big difference. And he's starting to sweat. He's like, oh no. What if he thought that I wanted to buy a thousand units? I only wanted to buy a thousand shares. At 9 a.m., office opens. The broker gets a phone call from him. And he goes and he says, tell me, I haven't slept in three days. How many shares did you buy on Friday? And he says, you know, I bought a thousand units, which is a hundred thousand shares. 
And he's like, a hundred thousand shares? I wanted to buy a thousand shares. You bought a hundred thousand shares? He's starting to sweat. He started, and the broker's like, oh, whoa, whoa, hold on one second. He looks online and he said the stock rose by 1.5 points over the weekend. And the broker tells him that you just made $150,000. This guy made $150,000 by mistake. He wanted what people don't make a year, he made in a weekend by mistake because he said something and he said it correctly, but the broker heard one thing and he, whatever's mine, he heard it correctly. And whatever reason, I could just broke who did it, that he would hear this and he would say this. And now he made $150,000. You want to know why? Because it's not about all your research, and yes, you should do research. And it's not about all your, you know, due diligence that you do. Yes, you should do due diligence. But at the end of the day, if Hakadosh Baruch Hu wants you to make money, Hakadosh Baruch Hu will go and will give you money. I want to share with you something from Shem Shem and this you have to bear with me a little bit. It's interesting. It's a story, but you have to bear with me because we're going to take a little bit of a few twists on the story. And this story, Rabbi Shimshon Pikas goes and explains the story. The story is based off a of Gemara in Tanit, page 25a. And this story is about a rabbi by the name of Rabbi Lazar ben Pedas. And he was an extremely poor rabbi. One day he had to go and he had to bloodlet. What they used to do in the olden days, and they would used to let out the blood. They would go and they would would basically uh, take out blood, and because of they would re- re- reduce the volume of blood in their body, their body now has to produce new blood. And the the idea was that if you had bad disease or whatever it is, so it was in the blood. And the answer is obviously it is in the blood. So if you let it out and now the body has produced new blood, you will be he- it will produce healthy blood and you'll be able to fight off the infection or whatever it is that you're fighting off. So he had to go and bloodlet this rabbi, Rabbi Lazar. And because he was so poor, it's not like nowadays, you go and you give blood and you get a cookie and a, you know, whatever it is, some orange juice. He didn't have money and all he had was a head of garlic to eat. Meaning a piece of raw garlic is what he ate because he had to recuperate his strength afterwards. But because of his weakness that he let out so much blood and now he didn't have any sufficient, uh, you know, nutrition to be able to, 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 to continue his, you know, survival in a wake state, he fell asleep. And while he was falling asleep, the Chachamim, the sages, they came to pay him a visit. But they saw that he was sleeping, so they were watching him. And they saw when he was asleep, three things happened. He cried, he laughed, and there was a spark of fire that sort of emanated from his forehead. When he woke up, the sages were around him and says, you know, what happened? We saw that you cried, we saw that you laughed, and we saw that a spark you know, came out of your fire. What was going on? So he told him, and he says that Hakadosh Baruch Hu, God, was sitting with me. And I asked him, and I said to God, like, how long am I going to suffer in poverty in this world? So God responded, Elazar, my son, says, do you want me to change the whole world from the very beginning? That maybe you will be born in a time of a mazal, of, of an astrological sign of prosperity. You are born in a certain time period, and that time period, that, that mazal, your astrological sign, is not of prosperity. So maybe if I would go and I would revert the world back to the beginning and start everything from scratch, maybe you will go and you will come to a time, to, to, you'll be born in a, in a time of prosperity. And that's why you will be able to be successful. So Rabbi Lezer goes and he says, I said back to God, I said, 
after all that, you're going to revert the world back to the beginning and it's all a matter of perhaps a maybe if I'm going to come back in time? So then the rabbi says, it says, I went and I went and I asked God, I asked HaKadosh Baruch I says, do I have the majority of my life ahead of me or before me? Meaning, did I live the majority of my life? So I, I left in poverty. I lived in poverty. Is it that majority of my life I already lived in poverty or is it that I have a big chunk of it that has to be in the future? So God responded, it says that, no, you already lived most of your life. So if so, the rabbi responded, I don't want you to change the world, let it as it be. So God responded, it says, as a reward that you don't want to change anything, in Olam Haba, the next world, I will give you 13 rivers full of balsam oil, like special oil for your pleasure. So Rabbi Elazar laughed. You know, he says, that's why I laughed. I was getting such a, you know, such a nice amount of reward. But then I responded back to God, but I said, wait a minute, but that's all I'm getting, 13 rivers? So the, God goes and responded back to the rabbi, he says, but, you know, if I give you more, what's going to be for all your colleagues? So the rabbi went and responded back, but wait a minute, he says, I'm not asking somebody of flesh and blood who has only a limit amount. I'm asking God, Melech Baruch God of all kings, God of everything. He says, you don't have a limit. You could give me a billion, a trillion, a gazillion, or whatever, a Google amount, and you could give my friends also a tremendous amount. So after that, says Rabbi Lazar, he says, he, God went and he tapped me on my forehead with a finger, and he says that Elazar, my son, I have struck you with my arrow, and that's why a spark emanated from Rabbi Lazar's forehead. Says Rabbi Shinshin Pinkus, let us try to explain, to understand, to focus on the second half of the conversation. As a reward, Rabbi Lazar went and he received 13 great rivers. But this was not enough for Rabbi Lazar. And Rabbi Lazar goes and says, God, you're speaking of a world of Olama Ba, a world of eternity and infinity. Should this world, should my reward in this world be limited to only 13? Give me boundless reward. To God responded, if I give you everything, what will be left with all the others? So what did Rabbi Lazar respond to? That people are limited, but you are not limited. And then God went and tapped Elazar with a finger. And he said, I struck you with my answer with an arrow. Meaning, says Rabbi Shem that's a fantastic answer, says God. But you deserve a slap as well. And the question is, why? Says Rabbi Shem before we go and we be able to explain what Rabbi Elazar did wrong, let us explain what Rabbi Elazar said right. And says up Shem and he goes and says, sometimes you see a couple that has 17 children. Sometimes you see 20 children. I had a, you know, a classmate of mine in high school or elementary. I don't remember. One of those. It's been a while. And he had, if I'm not mistaken, 22 or 23 siblings. He had a tremendous amount of siblings. Yeah, there were a lot of twins, whatever it was. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, sort of like every age group, there was like another, it was like a school of kids and that's what they had. And it was an unbelievable blessing. But when you go and you you think about it, I'd be like, you know, this family has 23 children. Another family has zero. Why did God do that? Why instead of giving this family 20 and this family zero, why didn't HaKadosh Baruch Hu give this family 10 and this family 10? Or this family, five, 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 and five. Like, why isn't that? Because Rebbe didn't spread it out equally. Why not? You have somebody who's drowning in debt. I had somebody I was in shul today. 
had somebody that came to me during shul and he said, I am collecting for one of his children's weddings, he was telling me, and he says, I don't even have clothing to buy. You have somebody from Eretz Yisrael who doesn't have clothing to buy for his children's wedding, and you have on the same in the same block, on the same whatever it is, you have somebody that has so much money and he doesn't know what to do with it. He has, doesn't know. They move the house to the front, they move the house to the back. They move the pool to this side, they move the pool. They don't know what to do. They're changing the house. They have, they have, they have so much money. Why? Why not give this guy, let him be fabulously wealthy, but why give this guy nothing? No, not even us, not even clothing. Like why not spread it out more equally? Why is it this way? Says Rabbi Shimshim Pinkus. The answer is, this question is found in Rabbi Lezer's, Rabbi Lezer's illuminating words. And God, and Rabbi Lezer goes and asks God, am I asking from a man who doesn't have enough to give? I'm asking God, you who has an unlimited supply. There's no limit that you have. It says Rabbi Shimshim Pinkus, let's say some guy lives on a block. And there's already four new Cadillacs on the block. Is the guy going to be like, what are the chances that I'm going to get a new Cadillac as well? There's already four on this block. It's not like God has a limit to how much God could give you. There's four, God could give you five. God can, it doesn't matter. God is limitless. God has unlimited abilities to give everybody everything. And that is what Rabbi Lezer ben Padas is teaching us. That when I receive something... It has absolutely nothing to do with what the next person gets. It has nothing to do with what my neighbor gets. And Hashem, so to speak, says Rabbi Shem Shem got so excited with this answer that he, he Rabbi Lazar's answer was such a good answer that he gave him a tap, but he also gave him rebuke. He says, God goes over to, to uh, Rabbi Lazar, so explains Rabbi Shem Shem He says, you said such a wonderful thing. You said such a wonderful answer. He says, but where were you before? He says, when you asked me for money, when you asked me for wealth, you said, how long am I going to live in this dire poverty? And I told you it's impossible because you, your, your mazal, your astrological sign is a sign of poverty. You accepted that answer. You said it's fine. But you should have, just like you realized that, it, that I have limitless abilities, like in the next world, I said 13 rivers. You said, why only 13? He says, if you ask me on that, then why didn't you ask me in this world also? Like, I could, shouldn't be able to give you money, I could give you money. So, Rabbi Shishim Pinkas goes and explains that Rabbi Lazar went and he grasped the points that there is no limits to what God could do in Olam Haba, in the next world. But that fact, for whatever reason, escaped him when it came to this world, explains Rabbi Shishim Pinkas. Sort of to, to explain, Rabbi Shimshin goes and goes and explains that you have a father that sits with his son and reviews what he learned in school. And he finds that the son has a phenomenal grasp of the, of the material. And when he realizes on how much the son understands from this material, he was, disappo- he was happy and disappointed at the same point in time. The father says, I'm happy that you know it, but at the same point in time, I'm disappointed. Because you didn't understand the last lesson. You are so smart, you realize, you comprehend. You comprehend the, the lesson, but why didn't you comprehend last lesson? Says God to, 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 to Rabbi Lazar, he says, you understood the lesson in Olam Abba. Yes, that you understood. But you didn't understand that I have limitless capabilities also in this world. So let's try to understand. Let's try to break this down and understand. What's, what was Rabbi Lazar's reasoning? And I want to share with you, this is something phenomenal that Rabbi Shimshim Pinkus goes on and explains. The Navi, the prophet Yechezkel, in the, he begins 
the the sefer with the description of maaseh merkava. The you know the, this this heavenly is a very kabbalistic you know uh, you know idea of the the, the this heavenly sites of the ofanim and the chayot hakodesh. First of all, we have to understand what is ofanim. Ofanim is sort of celestial bodies. This is a, we're getting a little bit kabbalistic over here. So there's something called Ofanim. Ofanim are these celestial bodies. These are where you think of like the, the sphere of the sun, the sphere of the moon, the spheres of the stars, you know, those types of celestial bodies. There are forces that direct the natural courses of this world. Included in that is wealth, poverty, health, sickness, so on and so forth. Children, you know, etc., etc. All these matters come to this world through these ofanim, through these celestial spheres. The study and the knowledge of how this works is something that is called astrology. The important world, the, the, the importance of this, of these celestial spheres, came to such a, a uh, erroneous approach in history that came to the factor known as none other as idolatry. This was known as something that's called, uh, in, you look and read the Gemara, it's something that's called Avodat Kochavim, worship of the stars. The, the stars, the forces, your mazal, has a certain power. The study of that is astrology, and people went and they started worshiping this power, so to speak, and that was known as Avodat Kochavim. Idolatry really originally started with worship of the stars, because that's where the, the a lot of the power came from. Now, imagine someone goes and needs some sort of government funding. They want to put a sidewalk, they want to put a, you know some schooling system, whatever it is that they want to do. They're not going to go straight to the president. They're not going to go, like, by the way, there's a school in Brooklyn that needs a certain uh, amount of... No, they're going to go to the local... They're going to go to, the, you know, one step at a time. You know, whatever it is, to the, to the finance minister or whatever it is, the Department of Education, whatever it is that they need to. The coding, the, the you know, the, the engineer, whatever it is that they're looking, they're going to the next level up. So, when people had the concept of, uh, you know, the, the when they realized the power of the, of the ofanim, of the celestial spheres, they realized, they thought like maybe what we need to do now is focus not on God, but actually the middleman. Because when you want to go and you want something, you don't go to the president. You go to the person who is in charge of it. You go to the engineer. You go to the controller. You go to whatever it is that, that the one who's in charge of the finance. You go, the, you go to the, the head of the department of education. Whatever it is that you're looking for, that's where you're going. So they, they thought, they'd be like, why are we going and praying to God? Maybe we should focus on the stars. Maybe we should focus on the celestial spheres. And that's where Avodat Kochavim, idolatry, started from. And they started worshipping the sort of the middleman. And it wasn't even a middleman, but they started worshipping that area. So what it, what it appears to be, that if somebody was born under a mazal, under the astrological sign of poverty, it seems like, this was what's destined for this person. And the only way to get out of it is the way that God explained to Rabbi Lazar. And that is to reboot the system. Start again from scratch and see how it ends up. Hopefully you'll end up in a different astrological sign. So Hashem goes and says to Rabbi Lazar ben Badas, He says that if you want to be wealthy, let's restart the world and let's see where you fall into it. And says God to Rabbi Lazar, he says, you accepted this answer. 
But when it comes to the same answer in Olam that I'm going to give you 13 rivers, that you said, no, I'm not going to explain, I'm not going to accept that. You have unlimited capabilities. That's where God went and touched the finger on Rabbi Lazar's, on the Rabbi Lazar's forehead. Why did God touch with the finger? He says, you see, I am touching you. I'm not just up there in the celestial spheres up in the world above the Rakia in the next world. He says, I'm right here with you. I'm right here with you and I'm touching you on the forehead. And there was a spark that emanated from that. Don't you think that I can intervene in the workings of this world? When the sages, when the Chachamim saw the spark, they saw how Hashem is with us in this world. It explains Rabbi Shem Pinkas, it says when you look at the celestial spheres, it says they don't actually do anything. It's sort of a pipeline of how... God takes the bracha from the next world and He pushes it into this world. But at the end of the day, they don't have any inherent power. It's all and only from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Everything is from God. Everything is from God. The Chayot HaKodesh, the Ofanim, they all come only from God. Everything is Mina Shamayim. Says Rabbi Shushan Pikas explains something so fundamental, so unbelievable, so Kabbalistic. One of the beauty of learning, you know, the, the, the Torah from Rabbi Shushan Pikas, the, the Sfar from Rabbi Shushan Pikas, is he takes very Kabbalistic ideas and he puts it into a way that you could understand it so simply, so beautifully. Says Rabbi explains Rabbi Shushan Pikas. Says that there's a Pasuk in Yecheskel, chapter 1 and verse 22. And that is that there is a partition between us and God. And what is it? It's ka'ayin ha'kerach. It's sort of a severe frost, sort of like a wall of ice that's between us and God. And if you want to break through a wall of ice, you know you need some heavy machinery. If people want to go, uh, I don't know if it's called ice fishing, but there's, you know, they have to have this like powerful drill that drills through the ice and makes a hole and then you can start fishing through the ice. If you want to drill through ice, you need very, very powerful equipment because ice, when it's really cold, it's very, very strong. But how do you do, how do you go and, and one of the most powerful techniques to go and combat, not the most energy efficient, but the most powerful techniques to combat ice, and that is with heat. If you place heat on it, the ice, you know, dissipates, the ice melts, there's, there's nothing left to it. So we have a wall of ice, so to speak, between us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But says, explains Rabbi Shimshim Pikas, how do we break through that wall of ice with this wall of stone or iron? We have a very, very powerful tool. And that tool is none other than heat. If you apply a little bit of heat over there, the, the wall will break down. And this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu was alluding to Rabbi Lazar ben Padas. HaKadosh Baruch Hu was going and telling him, My dear son, if you use your inner warmth, your inner emotion, shed some tears, break through the partition of ice, just say a prayer full of wor- warmth and emotion, it will cut right through the partition. And says Rabbi Shem Pikas, this is a message from us. If we apply the warmth by pl- praying to and davening to Akadosh Baruch Hu for, for whatever it is that we want, whether it's wealth, whether it's health, whatever it is, if we go and we pray to God with the warmth of that emotion, that's going to break that partition. And if Akadosh Baruch Hu wants to go and wants to, it wants to connect to Akadosh Baruch Hu, we have to break through that ice. And all we need is that little bit of warmth. There's some sort of distance between us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We could We could connect that distance all with a little warmth. You have a father, let's say a very successful businessman. He's in China for business. And he's over there and he's looking in the toy department and he's buying a toy for his little child, his little son. 
and he wants to go and he wants to connect with his son, so he wants to go and he wants to bring him back a toy. So go and he goes and he looks through all the toy departments and he buys him the toy that he wants. There, it doesn't matter the distance of where the father is. If there is love, they're very connected. And that's why all he cares about is getting that toy. Growing up, my father used to travel a lot for business. And I remember to this day, I don't know if my, even my father, my father will listen to this class, he probably will tell me. I remember to this day, one time I came, you know, I, you know, uh, you know, we were, we were a little, me and my, my younger brother were little, we were in bed. And my father came home from a long business trip. And we were so excited. And, you know, I remember running down the stairs, jumping into my father's arms. And my father bought this little tiny toy car. And I was so happy with this. I remember, it's clear to this day. I don't know if I was five or six. You know how you have some memories that stick to you to this day? I'm wondering, if it's not that my father will listen to this class, I wonder if he'll remember what, what we're talking about. If I'm not mistaken, I believe he even came from Denver. Even if, the, I don't know if that's, if that's, you know, if that's accurate. I, mean, I have to speak to him. This, by the way, this wasn't pl- a planned story. This bombage came into my mind. And I remember getting this little toy car with little lights and you were able to go. And I remember to this day, because you want to know why, because you have a loving father who is there, he's in business, and he's stressed out, and he's trying to make money for the family, and he's selling over here, and it's such a stressful situation. But you want to know, because he has such a love for his children, he wa- he's thinking about, I want to give a gift for my children when I come home. When you love someone, it doesn't matter how far you are, your mind is always on them. But if you fear somebody, if let's say you fear somebody in America, and you go and you travel to Eretz Yisrael, you land in Eretz Israel, you're not thinking about the guy that you're feared from over here. Because you're very far away, you're not scared anymore. But if you love somebody and you travel to Eretz Israel, you travel four, five, six, seven, eight thousand miles away, if you love somebody, the love is still there. If you fear somebody, the further you travel, the fear is no longer there. We know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu goes and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we love HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's a love, connection of love, no matter how far we are and how much of a permanent that is separating us. But we have that love, we're able to go and we're able to connect. And how do we do that? Through the emotion of love, through going to God and opening up and using that emotion, connecting to God through that heat. That heat is the love. That heat is the goat over to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and be like, there's nobody else that can help me, God. Hashem, please help me with Parnassah. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, please help me with a lawsuit. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, please help me with a shidduch. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, please help me with children. There's the love. And when there's a love, every it's connected, no matter how far you are. It could be your mazel isn't good, and you're not destined for wealth. But if you dive into the one that could give wealth, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu could go and can make you wealthy. Ay, it's late. What can we do? We're not even, we didn't even scratch the surface. We're going to have to go on a little bit more. It's late. I know you guys want to log off. It's fine. I'll speak to myself. Whatever it is. Maybe I need this more than you. We're going to continue just a little bit more. There was a family, a young man studying in Kolo. And they lived in a tiny apartment. And they had a very, very difficult time making their ends meet. And the Rosh Kolo, the head of the Kolo, goes over to him and he says, Listen, he says, why don't you go to the Koso? Pour out your heart to Hashem. Oh, if you ever had the chance, the opportunity to go to the Koso, what a beautiful sign. What a beautiful, you know, like it, it's something where you see where, where people all over the world come over there and they just open up to God. There is no ego in the Koso. You go over there, 
doesn't matter how proud you are, how strong you are, you're crying like a baby in the coastal. It's it's such a beautiful you know sight where people you see the Jewish nation how they connect to Agados Baku. What a beautiful, what an amazing, amazing you know sight. And the Rosh Kol goes and he says, "Listen, Baruch Hashem, we live in Eretz Yisrael. You have the coastal over here. Go to the coastal. Go and pray to God. Go pray to your Father in heaven. Go see see what can happen. This guy couldn't make his ends meet." So he goes over to the coastal, and he spent a long time crying and begging to God to help him. Suddenly, after a long period of time, he gets a tap on his shoulder. He turns around, and he sees a person, a stranger, asking him, he says, maybe I could help you. Because I see you are going, you're going obviously through a very difficult time, maybe I could help you. So this coal guy goes and he opens up to him, he says his difficult circumstance, and he explains everything to him. And this person that tapped him happened to be a very wealthy man. And he goes, and he right there on the spots, he goes and he writes, the wealthy man writes him a check to cover the cost of adding a room to his apartment. This guy had a very difficult time having ending meets. His apartment was tiny, you couldn't, you didn't know what to do. This wealthy man wrote him a full check on how much it would cost to go and just add an extra room to his apartment. He was so happy. He runs back to the Kolo. He tells the Roj Kolo, he tells the Kolo the amazing news that he had of what happened. He tells him the whole story. And he also tells this to his friends. He had a particular friend that was also going through a hard time. And he went and he also went to the Kolo and he started crying and he started praying at the Kolo. And he was waiting for that tap. And he was praying and crying and crying and crying and crying. And all of a sudden he gets a tap in his back and he's so happy. He's like, he like puts it all away. He turns around. And there's a guy hunched over, and he's like, Sadaka, you have some, you know, charity? And the guy was like shaking, he's like, what? He's like, where's my new apartment? You know, like, I thought I was winning a vacation to Mexico. Like, what's going on over here? And whatever, he gives him a little bit of charity. He, runs, he goes back to his colo. He goes over to the Roche colo, goes over to the rabbi. And he says, I don't understand. My friend, my Chavrusa, he went and he went and he prayed and he got all his things answered. I went and I prayed and what happened? I got, you know, I got a charity. I had to give money instead of getting money. So the rabbi so brilliantly answered. And he says, he says, you know what? He says, your friend, he went and he prayed to God and he put his hopes to God. And that's all he put his hopes to. You went and you prayed and you put your hopes on that tap on your back. You were waiting not for God, you're waiting for the tap on your back, for the guy in the back to tell you, can I help you? Can maybe I buy you a new apartment? Can maybe I give you a million dollars? Like That's what you are waiting for. When we go and we pray to God, we have to realize who we're praying to. We're not, you know, it's not our friend, it's not our boss, it's not our neighbor, it's not nothing other than God. Ain od milvado, there is nothing else. There's nothing else, no matter what you want in life, whether it's wealth, whether it's health, whether it's tranquility, it's all, it's all, it's all God. There's nothing else other than that. There was once an orphan who, as an orphan is, didn't have any parents. And he was in yeshiva, and he wanted to start dating. But the problem was, he didn't have any, he was in yeshiva, he wasn't working, he didn't have any parents to go and, how is he going to pay for a wedding? So his friend said, listen, don't worry about that. You go, you you know, start dating, and we'll raise money for you. So I said, fine. He went, he started dating, he ended up finding a very, very fine girl, who also happened to be an orphan. And they decided they wanted to get married. 
So his friends reassured him and said, don't worry about it. They went and they, start, they tried to raise money. They tried from here, they tried from there. They tried from every angle possible. For whatever reason, it was blocked. They couldn't make any money. They couldn't make any money. So it came to the point that the orphan goes and says to his friends, listen, you know, enough is enough. We tried. We tried everything that we could. I'm going straight to Hashem. I'm going straight to God. And he went to the coastal that Friday morning. And he goes over to the coastal and he starts crying to God. And he says, Hashem, he says, me and my fiance." We're both orphans. Orphans. We have nobody. He says, please help us get married. Help us start a family. And he started out saying to Helen from the beginning. Once he completed the entire first Sefer, he went and he turned around. He's like, where's the salvation? So far nothing. So he went and he continued praying again. Until finally there was a tap on his shoulder. And the stranger goes and says, can maybe I help you? And for whatever reason... This orphan says, no, thank you. I'm talking to God and God will help me. And he continues speaking to God. And for whatever reason, maybe he spoke loud. And he goes and he says to God, he says, listen, we are orphans. We want to get married. I do not want to live here, leave here until I see your salvation, until I see your Yeshua. And just then as he's finishing his prayer, there was another tap on his shoulder. And it was the same stranger. For whatever reason, the stranger was listening to his prayer. And he says, I want to help you. And he says, what are you talking about? Like, why, why do you want to help me? He says, I want to explain to you something. He says, when I, you know, he says, I just arrived to Eretz Israel. And he says, I just had a major court case relating to taxes. And if I had lost, I would have been left in poverty. And I told God, I told Hashem, He says, if I win this case, I will find an orphan boy and an orphan girl, and I will help them get married. Baruch Hashem, I won the case. And I came here to the Koza looking for people that I need to give that money to. And I saw you and I tapped you, but for whatever reason you didn't want to. But for whatever reason I stayed around and I heard you talking to God. And I, and I saw that you're both orphans. He says, this is what I was looking for. He says, I want to pay for your full wedding. And that's how it was. He paid for his full wedding. Because you want to know why? Because God is control of everything. No matter what you want to be wealthy, there is one focus and one focus only, and that is Hakadosh Baruch Hu Hashem Barach. There is nothing. There is nothing else other than Him. And all we need to do is we need to turn over to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. We need to do. We need to know that Hashem can make anyone wealthy. And just like we're saying Hashem can make anybody wealthy, the same is true for anything that you're dealing with in your life. Whether it's, you need a shiduch, whether it's a sickness, whether it's a court case, no matter what it is, ain od milvade. There is nothing, nothing, there's nothing else other than Hashem. And we have one focus and one focus only, and that is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And with that, we'll open up for some questions. Okay, first, seems like a comment more, the, the, um, is that I heard that you could change your mazal. And the answer is yes, we spoke about this previously. You could change your mazal. One of the ways is pray to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Open up to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Okay, it seems that we're short on questions. There we have one more. The question is, Hashem could change mazal, but how come He didn't for some? If they prayed, for example, for children and they didn't have children. That is an excellent, excellent question. But let's let's bro- let's branch out that question. Let's say somebody goes and prays for children, prays for parnasa, prays for health, and for whatever reason, God didn't answer them. 
God didn't answer them. So what do we say by that? God has the ability to do it, but God didn't do it. So what do we do now? And this is a very, very important factor because you have people, I've, I've had people that come to me and they said for like 60 years, I'm praying for wealth. Where is it? For 40 years, I'm praying for children. Where is it? For 30 years, I'm praying for Panasau. Where is it? The only answer I could give you is I don't know. You know, I, I wish I could tell you an answer. I'm not God. Nor am I God's accountant. Nor am I God's right-hand man. What was that? It's not their path. It could be. But even if it's not their path, they still have the ability to make it their path. They still have the ability. So what I'm, what the point is and what I wanted to come out of that is that if you've been praying and if you've been trying and it's not have been successful, please, 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 I'm begging you, do not stop praying. You want to be a millionaire? Keep on praying for that. You want to get married? Keep on praying for that. You want to have children? Keep on praying for that. Don't ever, 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 ever stop praying. Till the day of 120, and you're on your deathbed, do not stop praying. Yeshuat Hashem Ke'erav Ayin, God's salvation is a blink of an eye. We should never ever, and I'm speaking this to myself also, we should never ever ever stop praying. Seems like that was the final question. Chazak thank you all for joining. My apologies for the delay and how long you know we had between the previous class. We'll open up for any other follow-up questions, and if not, we'll close it up for the night. Any other questions? No? Okay. I had a question uh, yes. regarding um, the prayers. So basically, in terms of like praying for like things, like what is the specific like order that we should like dive in? Like, like which one, Esther, like I know that there's like you like praise Hashem and then like you like have your request and then you like do your thank yous. So, like mm-hmm. in terms of like praying to Hashem, like your own like personal prayer, do you do like have a specific order to like ask it the most? Potential out of your prayer. Okay, excellent question. So the question is, you know, how should you format the the prayer? When you know should you pray? When should you say thank you? So the most apropos place to make your prayer is in Shema Kaleinu, right before Ki Right before that, right before Ki that's where you go and you're able to go and make your prayer and say in your own words what you want. And if you realize it, what's What's very, very healthy and important and great to do is, and this is just my own, my own ideas and how I go about, you know, prayer is, and again, you might not do this all the time and it's fine, but if you do this every once in a while, it's very, very healthy, is to first thank Hashem and accept of the situation that you're in. So let's say someone's not married, someone doesn't have the panacea, I say, thank you Hashem for what you're giving me so far. So you're thanking Hashem for what all that, that God has done. Then you go and you ask Hashem for everything that you want. And the sky's the limit. Don't, don't you know, the sky. Like literally, the sky's the limit. And how does it go afterwards? After you say, after you finish your matfila, we say modem. We say thank you, So we say thank you again. Yes, there is praises that we're supposed to say and then we're supposed to ask and then we're supposed to thank. There is a certain particular criteria. Maybe we'll speak about that during tefillah. Our tefillah series is Lat Hashem with God's help. But when you're dealing with your regular Shemana and you're asking your own personal tefillah, 
what's good at least once in a while to thank Hashem for your difficulties because you realize that everything that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has done is for your best as Rabbi Kiva says that everything that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does is for the best no matter how difficult and how much we don't want to be in this situation but again we are thanking God that He put us in this situation and after we say that we ask us please get us out of this situation and give us the salvation that we want and we so desperately, desperately need and of course the more that you think the better off that you are Okay, but keep on asking. Good? Okay, looks like that is all. Chazak amazing. Thank you all for joining and have an amazing, 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 successful life. Let's go with a big one. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.